When I was in the seminary, um, we would sit around, uh, I remember, especially when there were a new, uh, it was the beginning of the school year, and, and you had the new crop of guys that kind of came in, um, oftentimes at lunch, we would find ourselves just kind of catching up and trying to learn and just get to know each other and the back, our backgrounds and where people were from. So almost always, a couple of weeks into school, at lunch or at dinner, we would be sitting around talking, and the question of, or the conversation about our families would come up. And it was fun to hear just like the backgrounds of all, my, all the brother seminarians and, and what their families were like and where they were from. One of them would say something like, oh, my mom and my dad, like, my dad's like really, really straight laced. My mom's like really quiet. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Some people would say, oh, yeah, my mom's been having a holy hour for years and she prays at the church. And, oh, my mom volunteers for everything at church and she does this and that and the other. She prays her rosary every day, all these things. And then... Without a doubt, the conversation would get to me. And I would look at them, and they would say, so what's your mom like? And my response, very simply, was, my mom is absolutely insane. And they would look at me, and they would be like, what do you mean? And I had one story that would basically tell the story of how crazy my mother was. It was uh, she was on her way to work one morning. Um, she, we lived in Raceland. She's on her way going towards Lockport. There's the red light in Raceland where 182 meets Highway 1 coming from Homa. She, would, she was on her way. She's pulling up through the light. She sees that a green light turned to a yellow light. So she just eased on her brake and stopped as it turned red. The guy that was right behind her, however, was trying to make the light. So he is trying his best. He must be late to work or something. He is speeding as fast as he can. He's accelerating. He slams his brakes when he sees her stop and comes so close to hitting her. She was sitting there bracing herself for the, for the impact and watching the whole thing in her rearview mirror. And as he came to a sliding stop, she read his lips and he said something not so nice to her. <laughs> It had some kind of an adjective with an I-N-G at the end, and it was about a dog of the female persuasion. <laughs> and when that happened, her car magically went into park. <laughs> My mother throws the door open, gets out, walks over to her back taillight, and screams at him, let me tell you how much of one of those I can be. The guy starts to get out of his vehicle, and she says, I dare you to get out of that car. And he got right back in. <laughs> For the next two minutes, my mother decided to lecture him on time management skills, on b basic human decency, and at one point turned around and said, I am so much of a mean person, using his words, she pointed at the light and said, the light's green and you're not moving. <laughs> she, talked, she screamed at him for a red light, a green light, then a red light. Got back into her car and went on her merry way. So when I say that, guys are like, there's no way. 100% gospel truth. When she got in the car, she had five missed phone calls and text messages of people saying, Yogi, is that you that I just saw <laughs> cursing somebody out at the red light in Raceland? So needless to say, my mom is absolutely insane. She's crazy. It's that same crazy, it's that same crazy for my mom that compelled her a couple of years later, though, 
that whenever she was work, she's working at a public school, she saw a couple of students that happened to come in late a couple of days in a row and then a couple of days a week for a few weeks in a row and pretty much consistently they came in late. She noticed that from day to day that some of the stains were the same on their shirts or on their pants. And she realized after meeting with them and talking with them and just getting to know these kids, that dad had lost his job and mom was sick. And that Christmas wasn't going to be an option for them. The same crazy that compelled my mom to curse somebody out at the red light in Raceland was the same crazy that compelled my mom to call my sister and I and tell us that Santa wasn't going to be passing for us this year. Because Santa needed to go to that family's house. And when they showed up to pick up the three kids' pickup truck worth of stuff that were in garbage, bag, not, garbage bags, not velvet bags, to put in the back of a pickup truck, I'm surprised that the parents got home safely because of the tears that they had. But it was the same crazy that compelled her to love and love intensely. You see, for us, that's the kind of crazy that God is. God is typically crazy to a point that it doesn't make sense how much He loves us. And today's Gospel proves it to us repeatedly. There are two things that Jesus hits on in the 15th chapter of Luke that we just read. Number one, that in God's eyes, we are unbelievably valuable. And number two, there is no limit to how far God is willing to go to show us how valuable we are. In, our first, in, in, in the Gospel, we hear three different parables. And we hear these three different parables in relation to the Pharisees and the scribes who are recognizing that Jesus is hanging out with sinners. Jesus takes them on directly and forcefully. And His responses are very, very poignant. And if we don't hear them with the right context, if we just hear them and we say, oh yeah, I know this story, what can happen is is we can miss what Jesus is getting at and it has all the impact in the world. It is the, most, it is the most important teaching, I dare say, that will come across in the Gospel for us. Because Jesus uses this example of what, what man among you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the one lost until he finds it? He says this as if it's an obvious answer. He says this as if it makes sense what he's saying. But if we really are honest with ourselves and we listen to what Jesus is saying, a shepherd in the, in the first century would have been, that would have been his livelihood, would have been his sheep. And for a shepherd to say, I'm going to abandon 99 for the sake of the one would not be wise. It would be absolutely crazy. Absolutely foolish. But what Jesus is getting at is that we are not just one of a herd. That we're not just a face in a crowd. That when God looks at us, He sees us as just as valuable as every one of the other 99. In the same way with the woman with the coin. She has ten coins, she loses one. The coins that they're talking about in this parable are equivalent of about a day's wage. 
So he's saying this woman knows the value and is willing to turn her life upside down to find it. When she does, it's worth rejoicing. When the shepherd finds, finds the lost sheep, it's worth rejoicing. When God looks at us and He sees us come to Him in whatever way we do, at Mass, in the sacraments, in confession, coming to a confirmation class that we wanted to come to or not, so what? When God sees us approach Him, He recognizes the value and He rejoices. But what limit does God have on that love? This is the story of the prodigal son. Where Jesus says, I, 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 so I value you. I see you not as one of the herd. I see you are special. You, not you church, plural. You individual. And when Jesus brings out the story of the prodigal son, He reveals something to us about God's mercy and about how He is more merciful than we ever deserve or would expect. We just heard it, but when we hear about the story of the prodigal son, there's a few, it, there's a few points that I really want to highlight that I think really give it some context. Okay? First off, the younger son goes to his father and says, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. He wants his inheritance. Now, if you know this, an inheritance you usually get when somebody dies. So what this younger son is doing is actually looking at his dad and saying, Dad, you are dead to me. I want out of your house. I don't want to live under your rules, your roof. Give me what's mine, and let's just part ways. I don't want to be your son. Gets his inheritance, and he leaves. He goes off to a far different, distant place. He goes off to, to, to living, it, living up his life. Prostitutes, alcohol, whatever it is, drugs, whatever it is, all the things... He gives himself over. He lives up his life. He makes his mistakes. He has his quote-unquote fun. And a famine hits that place and he finds himself very, very quickly in destitution. He finds himself poor. He finds himself low. Depressed. So much so that what he does is he hires himself out into slavery and what is, he, what is his job? To tend swine. Now for us, in, a, in year 2022, in South Louisiana, we might not understand the, the depth of what that means. But in a Jewish context, pork, pigs, are considered ritually unclean. They were the lowest of the low of all creatures. If that's the case this man finds himself, this younger son, finds himself as a slave to the lowest of the low. He's ripped off from the community. Ritually unclean. Utterly useless. And he has this moment of sobriety. He is starving and he says, well, maybe I can go back to my father's house and maybe I'll be able to be just a slave where at least I can eat and survive. So he gets up like a kid 
who's going to ask and beg his parents for something, and he rehearses his lines all the way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Let me be a slave in your household. And I can just imagine him walking the distance. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Let me be a slave in your household. My favorite line in all of this scripture says, while he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him, was filled with compassion, and ran to him. And so often what happens is, is that we focus on the running to him and the beautiful image of a father running out to meet his son. But I think one of the most telling things about that statement is that it's while he was still a long way off that the father saw him. If you're a hunter, you know this. If you're not looking a far way off, you're going to miss it. The deer walks out of the clearing, walks out of the tree line, and you're not looking at the tree line, you're going to miss it. So I imagine that the father is sitting there staring at the horizon from the moment his son left. Even with the insult, even with the rejection, whatever it was, still looking and waiting for his boy to come back. And when he sees him, he can't help but sprint to him. He can't help but go and get him. That's my boy. And before the son has a chance to share his line, the father already has him clothed and restored to his dignity. Older brother, though, is there still. And older brother is angry. And older brother sees that all these parties going on for a son who just went and gave away and did all this stuff and, and basically insulted his husband, his father, and, his, and everything has fallen apart. But instead, the father goes out to get him as well and says, no, 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 no judgment. We're meant to celebrate because your brother is here. It would be like one of the sheep being angry that the shepherd went to get one of their flock and bring him back. And why do I bring this up and why do I say this? I, I, I quite honestly believe that this Scripture today for us is the most important in all of our Scriptures. And the reason why is because I know for a fact that we have found ourselves in the position of a lost sheep where we don't know our own value, where we have found, you have found yourself in some point in your life as one of the, as the younger son who has basically given away and left all of the, all of the care of the father's household. Or that we might be in the place of the older son who might be someone who goes to Mass every week and then gets angry when someone shows up to church who hasn't been in a while and sits in our pew. But today, what the, the grace that we have that we are able to receive in this Mass and in this Scripture is that God is not intimidated by any of it. And that God still wants to be in relationship with us. He still wants to heal us. He still wants to have mercy on us. He still wants to love us. And He still wants us to live and to be in His number. But there's one thing that falls short, I think, in this Scripture. Bear with me. But if there's one thing I think that falls short in this Scripture, is that the Father doesn't follow His Son out. That He stays at home. Our Catechism says this. Man may forget his Creator or hide far from his face. He may run after idols or accuse the deity of having abandoned him, yet the living and true God tires, tirelessly calls each person. 
God tirelessly pursues each one of us. God is so in love with every single one of us that He is constantly at work, constantly calling out, constantly chasing us. And just saying, turn to Me. And away from this other stuff. Turn to Me. And away from the sin that you have been struggling with. The empty wells that you continue to go to. The places where you continue to try and find completion that just don't satisfy. God tirelessly pursues us. I don't know why tonight you showed up at St. Thomas. Maybe it's because 7 p.m. Mass is your Mass. Maybe it's because we were part of the confirmation class right before today's, today's Mass. But I do know that God Himself is pursuing you. God Himself has a plan for you. God Himself has a desire for you. And God Himself wants you. Not you, plural. The church a couple of hundred of us that are here, but you, by name. He reaffirms that love again, tonight. Because the same God who pursues the sheep, the same God who pursues the lost coin, the same God who pursues both of these sons who find themselves obstinate to the Father's will, the same God pursues us tonight as He steps down from heaven to this altar. And the best part is, is He's not afraid of what He might find. God's not afraid of your sin. God's not afraid of your hurt. God's not afraid of your shortcomings. God's not afraid of your, uh, of, of your wounds. God's not afraid of a marriage that may be failing. God's not afraid of an addiction to pornography. God's not afraid of whatever it is that you might be struggling with. All He wants is to be able to come in. Today, He offers Himself very, very plainly to you. He offers Himself and says, I want to be a part of your life. So how do you approach Him? Do we come guarded? Do we come keeping God at arm's length? Do we come just to check the box that I made it to Sunday Mass and that's good enough? Or do we approach the Lord vulnerably and open where He can work, where He can heal, and where He can fill us? God is crazy. God is absolutely crazy in the way that He loves us. Because in reality, we don't deserve Him to step down to meet us. But today, He does it again. How are we, how are you ready to respond?